There's a joke about a man standing outside his house and floodwaters are rising. Waters get up to his waist and a neighbor paddles by in a rowboat. Hop in, shouts the neighbor. No, thank you. God will save me, the man replies. So his neighbor continues to paddle to safety. The water's now up to his chest and the coast guard comes by in a rescue boat. Get in. No, thank you. God will save me. The water's now up to the man's neck and a helicopter spots him and drops a rescue line. Grab on, they yell down. No, thank you. God will save me. So the man drowns. When he's facing the Lord, he asks, Father, I had faith. I believed you were going to save me. What happened? And God answered him, I sent a rowboat, the Coast Guard, and a helicopter. Why didn't you take one of them? The joke's a bit ridiculous in a way. Most of us, given the same circumstances, would have at least accepted the help from the helicopter, if not the help that was offered earlier. But there are a few lessons to be learned here. The first is that God's assistance is not always going to come in the form of some amazing supernatural spectacle, but it's still there. I don't know if the man in this joke was expecting God's hand to reach down from heaven and pull him up to safety, or if he expected God to instantaneously just cause the floodwaters to subside. But the methods of rescue provided would have worked were the man not too busy looking for a bigger sign. The second lesson is that God has gifted us a mind, and if we'd only use it, we can solve a lot of problems. That's why God put it there. And the third lesson is that God's not going to force his solutions on you when you ask for help. Sometimes you are expected to be proactive. Martin Luther King Jr. once said, One of the great tragedies of life is that men seldom bridge the gulf between practice and profession, between doing and saying. A persistent schizophrenia leaves so many of us tragically divided against ourselves. On the one hand, we proudly profess certain sublime and noble principles, but on the other hand, we sadly practice the very antithesis of these principles. How often are our lives characterized by a high blood pressure of creeds and an anemia of deeds? We talk eloquently about our commitment to the principles of Christianity, and yet our lives are saturated with the practices of paganism. We proclaim our devotion to democracy, but sadly, we practice the very opposite of the democratic creed. We talk passionately about peace, and at the same time, we assiduously prepare for war. We make our fervent pleas for the high road of justice, and then we tread unflinchingly on the low roads of injustice. This strange dichotomy, this agonizing gulf between the ought and the is, represents the tragic theme of man's earthly pilgrimage. For a Christian, we must always seek out God's will in our lives through study. If we study, we grow. When we grow, we become better equipped to deal with all the obstacles we face in our lives, be it spiritual or physical. But it's important to remember the first step is to seek wisdom. Solomon wrote about this in the first chapter of Proverbs. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to perceive the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give subtlety to the simple, and to the young man knowledge and discretion. 
A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsels. To understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. My son, hear the instruction of thy father, and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornament of grace unto thy head, and chains about thy neck. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, Come with us, let us lay wait for blood, let us lurk privily for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow, up, uh, swallow them up alive as the grave, and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance, we shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot amongst us, let us have all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them, refrain thy foot from their path. For their feet run to evil, and make haste to shed blood. Surely in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood, they lurk privily for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and the fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you, I will make known my words unto you. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity, I will mock when your fear cometh. When your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you, then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. For they that, uh, that they hated knowledge, and did not choose the fear of the Lord. They would none of my counsel, they despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way, and be filled with their own. Uh, their own devices, sorry. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them, and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whoso hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely, and shall be quiet from fear of evil. So, from this uh, proverb, we see that all knowledge begins with a proper fear of the Lord. Fear can mean a few different things, uh, and I think there's two very interesting layers to this passage. So I'm going to present both, and perhaps it's something you can look at in your own personal study throughout the uh, week. Layered nuances like this uh, can be missed if you're reading from another translation other than the King James, which is another reason why we here at Well Faith Bible Assembly believe it's the inspired Word of God. But if we look at Merriam-Webster's dictionary, it describes fear as 1a, an unpleasant, often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. 1b1. An instance of this emotion, 1b2, a state marked by this emotion. 2, anxious concern or solicitude. 3, 
profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. Four, reason for alarm or danger. So if we look at this passage from the perspective of an individual that's starting out on the path to knowledge and is seeking God but has not yet found him, then the first definition of the word would apply. In order to be brought to your knees in submission to the Almighty, you must first realize what you're headed for and what a perfect and holy God is capable of and how he cannot tolerate sin. That should scare you. That's the first step towards seeking his forgiveness and coming to know him. So that's, that's where 1A would come in. Now, if we look at the passage from the Christian's point of view, I believe the third meaning would be the one that we should be looking into. So that was the profound reverence and awe, especially towards God. Uh, the third meaning, uh, I think we can verify that that would be what would apply to us if we read uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, which says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. In this passage, we see the other meaning of fear, the first one. And it has no place in a loving relationship between a believer and the Lord, because we've already been saved. The fear of hell and damnation should be removed from us. So, if both meanings work in this passage, it shows us that knowledge starts when the sinner seeks out God, but it also continues in their walk with him. The passage also goes on to tell us that the people we associate with will either enhance or degrade our ability to obtain knowledge. Uh, if you run in circles with people who mock God or seek to do evil, you will go down the same path as they do, which is one of the reasons I think today's modern university is such a scary place. Not only that, but when you ignore wisdom, the passage says in verse 26 that when bad things befall you, I will also laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. That's harsh. But it's also a direct result of the choices you've made in your life. And there is a point of no return when you try and seek wisdom. It says that you won't be able to. That point, there's a point of no return where your ability to find God will be removed. So this terrible uh, result of having wisdom laugh at your calamity and mock you when your fear cometh. It doesn't have to be that way. We study scriptures to learn what God expects of us. When we need extra guidance, we pray. That's what he wants. The scriptures show us many different and positive ways that prayer helps the believer. But in order for prayer to work, it has to be sincere. We see this in Matthew chapter 6, Verses 5 to 8. When thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray unto the Father which is in secret, 
and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard in further much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. With this passage, there's a, a few different things I always think of. Um, they have their reward in, in chapter in verse five, when Jesus says they have their reward. Their reward is the admiration of the people for their elaborate prayer. Nothing more comes of it. It's pretty sad. So it is their reward. They like to hear themselves talk, and they got to do that but it doesn't have any substance beyond that. The other one uh, is in verse 7. When you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do. What always pops into my head, Hail Mary, full of grace. It's, it's a vain repetition. Say that so many times if you've sinned, and this will fix it. No, no. It's heathen. I know I spoke about this in a past message, but we see in this passage that we read, God already knows what you need. Prayer is a way of communicating and having a direct relationship with him. To be able to speak directly to the creator of all things without any middleman is a very powerful tool. It's also important to notice that God is willing to help with what you need, not necessarily what you want, as some TV evangelists would have you believe. If your heart is genuinely seeking what God desires for you, your prayers will be met. Matthew chapter 7, verse 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 to 9. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren, that are in the world. Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which patheth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And 1 John 1, 9. We confess our sins, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So my message today is simple. Talk to God through prayer. Let him know your desire to be close to him. 
Well, it's a wonderful thing to have others praying for you. And that is very important that we remember to lift up our brothers and sisters in Christ, as well as praying for those that we love that are still lost. It's vitally important that we pray to God ourselves to meet our needs. Don't wait for others to do it for you. And don't wait for God to supernaturally intervene like the man in the joke. If you're in communication with him constantly, his path will appear to you. So don't be hesitant to use that wonderful mind that he's blessed all of us with and seek his will in your life. Chris, could we have you close the message in prayer? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the simple lesson of prayer, the wonderful tool that you have given to each one of your children that we may be able to exercise our fellowship with you through the vehicle of prayer. We will all learn from the simple lesson and exercise it and be obedient to your command that we can pray individually to you so that we can deepen that fellowship and cultivate that um, fellowship and be drawn closer to, the, to you each day of our lives. May we walk boldly for you in this world May we do the things that are pleasing in thy sight. May we lift up our voice forever and praise your holy name. For we pray all these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.